workers who have spent months working remotely are forcing landlords to respond to a new set of expectations when it comes to flexible space. The old desk-heavy flexible operations are being replaced with suites and meeting areas. There's more focus on community spaces and tenants are having greater input than ever before. So what is it exactly then that tenants want? And for landlords, some of whom are allocating their best floors to flexible space, what does a commercially viable operation look like? Rebecca Kent here, host of JLL's Perspectives podcast. I'm delighted to be talking about flexible office space and where it's headed with a trio of experts who have got their fingers firmly on the pulse. We're joined by Simon Trude, the founder and managing director of Endrum, an experiential design group. Hi, Simon. Hi, Rebecca. Nice to be here. Thank you. And Tashi Dorji, head of Flexspace Australia and New Zealand for JLL. Hi, Tashi. Hi, Rebecca. How are you doing? And Tim O'Connor, head of office leasing in Australia for JLL. Hi, Tim. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? Tim, I'll throw this question to you. What are the attitudes towards flexible office space at the moment? I think what we saw early on as the pandemic took hold was that concept of sitting in sort of communal co-working spaces, um, I guess, took a hit from what we were seeing at organisations who, you know, smaller organisations who were in that sort of communal setup were, I guess, reverting back home and then subsequent to that have been sort of talking about getting back into traditional space so they can control their environment. So we've seen a, probably an impact through that. I guess on the other side of it, though, where you look at uh, more space on demand for larger organisations who might be within a flex setup but have their own space within that, if that makes sense. It might be a floor or might be a, you know, a, a, a sectioned area within that has certainly increased because um, I guess the overall appetite at the moment revolves very much around flexibility and how do I... As an organisation, how do I respond to what's happening from the financial crisis part of the issue at the moment by reducing my core space, uh, the space that I'm committed to on a long-term basis, but how do I, uh, I guess, create that insurance policy almost um, for my organisation as I need to you know, call on space, ideally within the same building? I think the flex office sector um, is really, you know, is, is in many ways going to be a, a large um you know, benefactor of the uncertainty that you know this pandemic has created, um, and it's really, I think, then going to kind of find its way into the mainstream of how we, you know, we work um, within office buildings going forward. Is there any evidence so far that the the appeal of flexible space is um, is advancing, or that there's kind of a new imperative either from the tenant? A desire from the tenant or from the landlord to deliver any signs of that so far yeah i think we we actually saw them before the pandemic so this is not you know where organizations are in some ways you know um, stipulating as part of their requirement brief to the market that they want the building to provide that flexibility for them um yeah you saw it with suncorp in their requirement up in brisbane um and they had a very I'd say hands-on involvement um, with Mervac in the way that the, the flex offer was structured within that building. You also saw it with Deloitte's requirement here in Sydney, um, perhaps not as uh, as directly involved, but certainly wanted to know that the building that they chose had that, that flex offer within it to, again, enable them to call on spaces they needed it. And I think the conversations that we're having 
with a whole range of different occupiers at the moment now, big and small, is is that that has the building got a flexible offer? Is a is a regular question that we're getting. I think from the investor and owner side, there's an awful lot more conversations over the last I don't know six or nine months around how do we offer that that flex solution? Um, and so part of that has been going and leasing to a third party. Um, but there's also a lot more consideration of conversations around the owners providing that themselves, um, even even in partnership with with a third party. But you know, a sort of more, um, I guess, building tailored offer. Simon uh, Flex Space has evolved to be very much about you know what the user experience has been. Uh, do you see it? continuing and I guess as we see more potentially landlord uh, run spaces are we going to see that experiential side of flex space ramp up yeah absolutely um, I mean as Tim was saying we have seen the need for flex space for some time um, you know it's it's been a need for businesses um, at some capacity and landlords have been looking for opportunities to provide that for the tenants um, but most of the time it's really just been bums on seats you know it's been desks meeting rooms you know maybe a beer tap on on Friday nights um, but you know, what we're really seeing now is a move towards building communities and actually thinking about your building and how they inhabit that building and work with each other and socialise with each other. We're actually starting to uncover what makes up that community. The other major thing that we've really learned, um, you know, which really is, I think, a silver lining out of the, the whole pandemic is, you know, this sort of shift from, you know, a nine to five rigid work hours, you know, the fairly monotonous routines in a corporate environment to everybody having to be at home, forced to be at home and working from home, where people personalise their own space, they work in their own times, you know, they had to balance health, family, you know, social, all of those things around their work. Um, and people have learned and enjoyed a lot out of that in a lot of respects. So, you know, moving forward, when we're thinking about flex space and adding value to the building um, and to the communities of the building and how we get people to come back into the office, there's a lot of learnings that we've taken out of of COVID um, and thinking about families and lifestyle and, you know, social interactions that we can embed into, you know, commercial workplaces and precincts to build community and, and, and embed massive amounts of value into their lives. So it really is just going to shift more. Just to add on to that, what Simon was saying, actually two, two really interesting things that we've even seen, like this, this trend is almost catalyzing an evolution, not just from in the flex industry from from the landlords and, and what they're willing to offer but even from an operator perspective um a lot of them in principle especially the more hospitality driven ones are almost in a in a, a really a, a space where they see in order to take advantage or to grow with this growing need for more bespoke orientated flex space they need to really start focusing on their their hospitality dna or how they offer that because the traditional need from, you know, say if you look at a floor or two of flex within a building, cramming that with desks to make a commercial case is kind of gone. It's almost like, okay, well, um, especially if there's part of the brief or the scope for that to, to win it as an operator is what does it look like if you, you, you throw a restaurant or a cafe in there or a bit of catering or an event space or even if you help us activate the ground floor with a concierge offering and a clubhouse offering, um, operators that traditionally may not have taken those services under their belts now need to evolve in order to do it because for a landlord you know if you can integrate all those services into one then it really takes a lot of the headache away from them 
Tim, perhaps talk about landlords. How prepared are they to give up two floors, three floors to be used as flex space? But also workers feel more empowered now to work from home and work remotely. What's the role of flex space in getting them back into the office? Our organisations have the greatest you know, responsibility in terms of getting people back to work or the onus is on them. But yes, the real estate they occupy certainly plays a part. In some situations for smaller organisations or, or larger organisations um, who perhaps, you know, have the opportunity to reduce their permanent footprint, um, you know, then, then draw on that, again, that space as they, you know, as they want and need it along the way um, may then be part of that solution. The longer term piece is really around the real estate they occupy um, and, and you know, creating that buzz and that energy and that experience that Simon talks about, and people actually wanting to come back uh, and be engaged both within the kind of four walls of the, the space their organisation occupies, but more importantly within the, I guess the the ecosystem, the precinct that their that their building sits in. I look at it from the end of trip facilities. So end of trip used to be you had a shower and somewhere to get changed in the basement of a building, and that was fine. Um, as you've seen in that sort of almost arms race over the last, I don't know, five or ten years around the quality and scale of end-of-trip facilities, it's just continually, the bar is continually being raised. Uh, and so now we find that it's very, you know, it's it's very health and well-being focused and it's a much, much greater offer um, than what we started with and it really revolves around the experience. And so that is part of that whole you know, piece of enticing people back to work, but we're seeing the same thing happen in the flex space. To I think Tashi's point, you know, having a couple of floors where you just put some desks in there and that right, that ticks the box of, of our flex offer, well, that's, that's sort of comparable to saying, right, we've got some showers and, and some space in the basement where you can get changed. That's kind of no longer good enough. The, the scale of it can really be determined by ultimately what the customers are saying but you know, I think we're probably seeing it in the order of you know give or take 10% of any building um, in terms of the flex offer but that's still function yeah you know, it's still very much driven by the feedback from either those existing customers or the customers coming in and then exactly what they want and what they need it's not a one-size-fits-all and, and in part that creates some real challenges um, but in others it, it you know it's exciting because you can have that real engagement with your larger tenants. And that's probably where that sort of uh, white label offer, you know, very bespoke building offer, maybe maybe run by an external uh, party, but where the, the owner has much more control. The scary part is you're taking potentially an income stream out. So rather than leasing to a, to a third party operator who goes and runs their, their operation, for an owner taking that out and doing it on a more management model um, has some valuation impact and our, our valuation team globally are really looking into that at the moment to kind of crack that because that's been a I guess a, a, a point of resistance from the investor community of what is that impact on valuation where you don't have you know a three or five year um, set of data that you can see how you know the how the model has worked in that regard and how it's actually contributed to the value of the building just to touch on something that um, you and Tim were addressing in terms of you know how much space um, should there be a flex within a building? You know, everything that Tim said is absolutely right, but if you wanted to think about it 
from a, okay, I, I can give up, you know, a thousand to 5,000 square meters of space within my asset because it's quite big or quite small. If, you, if you're thinking about it, and this is for any of the investors kind of listening um, on what works from a from an operation or a, or a commercial perspective, rule of thumb, give or take, is around the 2,000 square meter mark to run a good operation that's going to get you a commercial return but gives you enough space to play around with to put in some of those amenity-driven zones so it's not just a desk-dense operation. Um, that's probably a good place to start. And, and a big part of it is just because, you know, even if you were to lease a floor out to a flex operator, they probably wouldn't take anything much less than that because that's the point where their costs are fixed and they get to reap some of the return as the as, as they scale the business and sell more desks or meeting spaces or experiences. Um, so that's probably the space that you want to start. And if you get any smaller than that, it, it's totally fine. It's just then more of a decision um, that you have to make as an owner going – you know, what's the opportunity cost here? Am I okay to take a bit of a commercial hit, still make profit uh, a bit less, but with smaller space or dedicating more of that space to like an amphitheater or something? Thanks, Tashin. Simon, if, if there's no um, sort of one size fits all flex space, where do you even start with designing a sort of flexible workspace, community driven experience? Yeah, look, I, I think coming up with the right flex solution for an asset really comes down to the to the process and the and the engagement. Um, so you know, really understanding the tenants, the needs, you know, the competitive landscape, um, and and you know, and but also the appetite for the for the owner in terms of how much risk or what value they perceive um, should be embedded into the building. Um, so are they willing to give up their best floors, you know, to give back to tenants? To, to you know to to um, inherently embed massive amounts of value to the asset, or do they want to keep those floors for traditional lease and get the highest rents? Also, the local communities, um, which we we can't forget as well, is how these communities within the building connect with the local communities, um, you know, adjacent and within the you know the, the area of the precinct. So every project is different. Uh, you know, we've done or are working on a project at the moment, which is a incredibly premium new builds in Asia, um, where the top two floors, which would probably be some of the most expensive rents in Asia Pacific, are being dedicated to flex. Um, and, you know, there, there is a commercial return on those floors, but it's the embedded value of what it's going to bring to incoming tenants to hold those tenants, um, which is the real driver. So a very sophisticated landlord that is giving up the best two floors. And that's not uncommon um, at the moment is looking at the best spaces to give back. Um, but we have plenty of other projects um, in the past and, and we're currently working on where you take underperforming space um, that isn't necessarily going to add immense value to the building, but then rethinking it in a particular way to, to embed more value. So who do you mean by communities? Yeah, I mean, very, very broad term communities. Um, obviously, you know, the, the business communities, people working in the building, um, but then people obviously form their own, you know, sort of sub communities, running groups, you know, cooking classes, you know, networking events, mentoring programs, all of those different things with people to come together um, and they're cross businesses. Um, but then also connecting with your local community. So your local, you know, local produce, local coffee, you know, um, local charities and how you actually sort of connect with those as well. And then we think about the space and we talk always talk about hardware and software. So the hardware being the spaces and the program that we put within the assets, but then the the software is what we design to happen within those spaces. It's not enough to be able to just design a good space and walk away, you know, and hope communities flourish and evolve and change over time. You do need to manage and nurture and understand and measure. On top of the experience-driven um, parts of the operation of a flex space, which is extremely important, as, as Simon was saying, ultimately um, you're setting up a business, right, um, especially if you're doing it in partnership with the flex operator, especially if the landlord takes the opportunity to, to own it themselves. 
So if you're going to be setting up a, a flex business, um, it's always best to involve a third party partner, whomever you work with sooner than later, engage them even at the beginning of your thought bubble or um, even itch that you want to scratch that you want to see what flex would look like for your asset or one of your assets within the portfolio. Because I'll, there's been a few scenarios um, which you could brand as mistakes where we've been brought in and had a look at a few projects that um, they've taken a stab at the the design or the floor plan themselves for what a flex space could look like within an asset. But when it came down to crunching the numbers or looking at the forecast or feasibility of the operation, it just wasn't making sadly enough money for their aspiration for it, which means that you lose everything else if it's not hitting the, the commercial target that there is. And I mean, in principle, the way you get around that is when you work with your partner, you just identify what you're looking to get out of the space. You know, even if it's as basic as, hey, I really want something to differentiate our asset and be great for our tenants, but we also want to hit a market rent equivalent of X dollars per square meter out of this operation. So when you have a very transparent conversation with the landlord like that as an as a operator who's, you know, will eventually take on that business and run it as a partner, um, then they get to design something for them where they're like, okay, we'll carve this floor plan out so it's got enough desks um, to generate that commercial return. And, and when I say desks, the market and the industry is seeing much more private office suites and not dedicated or flexible desks. So less co-working, more flexible office suites. Um, it'll have enough service meeting spaces. So even if you're thinking around 2,000 square meters, you'd be like, okay, we'll set aside 60% of that NLA for, for the commercial stuff so that we hit that target that you want, but then we'll engage in, you know, the, 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 the creation, the process to understand what your tenants really want out of this space too, or what you want. And with that remaining space, we'll make sure that that amenity driven zone is exactly what could be deemed as valuable to the people that you really want to appease um, and, and keep happy on top of running that business. Great. All right. Well, Tashi, Tim and Simon, thanks ever so much. The future looks really interesting and exciting in Flex space. It'll keep you all pretty busy, no doubt. Thanks, Pleasure. Thanks, Rebecca.